The single greatest safety system failure in corporate America today is the lack of accountability. Welcome to the Get Real About Safety podcast. In our podcast, we discuss the new view of safety, what works and what doesn't work, to break down old paradigms and help you improve safety performance in your organization. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Pam, and we appreciate you listening. Please share and subscribe and tell others about this podcast. You can find us on most podcast platforms and also on YouTube. Welcome to another episode of Get Real About Safety. Hope everybody's doing fine. It's really cold here in Georgia this week, and uh, but we've been busy. I hope everybody else has been too. Even with all the COVID stuff going on, we've really been super busy doing virtual training and virtual consultation. So again, I hope everybody's doing good. Hope everybody's prospering. Today's topic is going to be management accountability, the engine that drives safety. This is a really important topic, and I think it's one you're really going to enjoy. This is an area that a lot of people struggle in. So to start out, I want to repeat the opening line of this podcast. The single greatest safety system failure in corporate America today is the lack of accountability. That's a quote from the late, great safety management guru, Dr. Dan Peterson. He said that in 1980, and it's still true today. In our culture assessment and safety performance work, we still, right now in 2021, continue to find many organizations that have ineffective measurement systems and a lack of effective management accountability. I can't tell you how often during culture assessments when managers or supervisors are asked, how are you measured on safety performance? The responses are often things like, I don't know. Or, to my knowledge, I'm not really measured. Or, no one has ever told me I'm being measured. Or, safety doesn't really have any bearing or any impact on my performance evaluation. Now, sometimes they respond with this one. I'm measured by our recordable rate, which, as most of you know, is a real problem. And we'll get into that as we go along. Also, when we submit recommendations to develop a formalized management accountability system, clients tend to avoid this issue and go for the low-hanging fruit, some of the technical fix-it type items. Now, it's really the harder things that change a culture. It's not fixing a lot of little technical issues like putting in better lighting or better access to PPE. Those don't do much to change the culture. Now, changing the culture means improving performance. This is often a misunderstood area in safety, yet probably one of the most important ones. Today, we're going to discuss what is management accountability, why is it important, and share some ideas on how to design a formalized system for driving safety performance in your organization. By the way, if you're not familiar with Dan Peterson, you should be. He was a thought leader in safety management and was world-renowned for his work. He wrote numerous books on the topic of safety management, 
and I would encourage you to read anything and everything he wrote. The last book that he wrote just before he passed away a few years ago was a landmark book titled Measurement of Safety Performance. If you don't read anything else he wrote, you should read that one. So what is management accountability and why is it important? In its formal sense, it is a systemized process for measuring safety performance and utilizing those measurements to drive performance. Why is that important? Safety starts at the top. Management in any organization creates the culture. And since culture is a major determinant of the behavior of the workers and everyone else in the organization, how effectively and consistently managers and supervisors perform in relation to creating that culture is absolutely critical. Accountability creates alignment to the organization's vision for safety excellence and its stated core values. In fact, the number one job of executive management in relation to safety in any organization is to create a strategic vision for excellence, to position safety as a core value, then align the organization to that vision and to those values with both accountability and leadership. Here at ProSafe, we only work with organizations who are serious about transforming their cultures. When I meet with a CEO or a president of a potential client, we have a discussion about accountability. If they are not willing to hold their managers and their supervisors accountable for safety performance, I usually shake their hand, tell them it's been nice meeting you, but I'm not interested in your business. That's because if they are not willing to hold them accountable, they are not really serious about culture change. All high-performing safety cultures have formalized accountability systems that significantly measure performance and attach those metrics to compensation and career path in the organization. It is truly the engine that drives safety. Without accountability, nice safety program, but it's not really going anywhere. This is often because of confusion between the terms responsibility and accountability. There is a distinct difference between the two. Responsibility means an obligation to perform or carry out duties. However, when someone is responsible but not accountable, we are relying on their personal integrity as to whether or not those duties will truly get performed and how well. Accountability is different. Accountability means they are answerable or liable for carrying out those duties. In other words, for their performance. For example, you know, years ago I was in the insurance industry. I spent about 12 years uh, as a manager over the southeastern operations uh, in safety management and risk engineering. And as a manager, I had 14 duties. Out of those 14 duties, seven of those I got measured on. Those seven that I was measured on impacted pay raises, bonuses, promotional opportunity, and career path in the organization. Which seven got done? You know, those other seven may or may not get done fully depending on competing priorities, uh, depending on time, those sort of things. But those seven that I was measured on that impacted compensation and career path, I will promise you those got done. The purpose of a management accountability system is to motivate performance. A good way to sum up accountability is this. 
What gets measured is what gets done. So it requires measuring safety performance. Now, at this point, I guess we should also define the term performance, what it is and what it is not. Performance is the accomplishment or completion of something, or better stated, it is the accomplishment or completion of tasks or activities. So from a safety standpoint, performance has to do with carrying out the duties, tasks, and activities that lead to a safe workplace. What it is not is lagging accident statistics such as the OSHA recordable incident rate or any other outcome measure that counts how many people we hurt or kill. Let me be clear. Recordable and lost time rates are not performance measures. And measuring our people on them causes more problems than it solves. Performance means doing. Once we can wrap our heads around that, the rest is pretty simple. Another Dan Peterson quote that I really love is this one. If supervisors are made responsible for safety but not accountable to do the tasks that create safe and healthy workplaces, these tasks simply won't happen. So to be effective, we have to hold managers and supervisors not just responsible, but accountable for carrying out the activities that drive an effective safety culture. So first, let's have a discussion about measuring safety performance. That's really where it all starts, and then we'll talk about what to do with that. Another Dan Peterson quote, this came from 1984, is that one of the major functions of a safety professional is to measure and evaluate the effectiveness of the accident and loss control system. Now there again, that kind of gets back to are we measuring performance or are we just measuring outcome numbers that may be based on luck or may be based on uh, the honesty and reporting, which is dependent on the fear levels in any organization, uh, or that it, it, it's varying exposure levels. You know, sometimes we do tasks that are just low exposure or low risk. Sometimes we do tasks that are high risk. And so measuring effectiveness requires measuring the things that create that safe workplace. Another Dan Peterson quote is that measuring the effectiveness of safety programs usually becomes an assessment of accident statistics. And that is basically an exercise in measuring luck. And it really is true. The way that safety is traditionally measured in many organizations is based on accident rates. Things like the recordable rates, uh, days away from work rates or DART rates, whatever you want to call them. Some people measure first aid cases. They measure uh, all injury rates, which encompasses all of those. And that's all fine and good, but those are all rear-looking measures. Now, another measure is loss costs. Now, these are also lagging indicators, but sometimes they may be more meaningful to managers and supervisors. When you really think about it, almost everything else in the workplace is measured on cost per labor, cost per materials, uh, benefit cost per hour, hotels measure cost per room, steel fabricators measure cost per ton. So while those are still lagging and rear-looking indicators, a lot of times those are a lot more meaningful than something like we have an incident rate of 1.5. You know the problem with lagging indicators, there are a lot of pitfalls. And 
they really are not in line with other process metrics like those cost per hour measurements. But the biggest problem with lagging indicators, and especially recordable rates, and this is why you never ever want to hold anybody accountable for recordable rates, it can drive reporting of injuries underground. It can create lots of problems. And not only do workers hide injuries, but sometimes their supervisors do too. And you know, oftentimes there's a tendency to overreact to a recordable rate. And now we come out with more rules and more policies and more PPE and we make it so difficult for people to get the work done, then supervisors will tend to sweep that stuff under the rug. And I can't tell you how often that comes out in culture assessments when people being honest and just exposing reality will tell you that. The other thing is that recordable rates are not predictive. They're just not. You know, the fact that we had three back injuries last year doesn't mean that we're going to have three back injuries next year. There is a huge amount of random variability that goes into those numbers. Now, here's the other part of it. Those are not measures of excellence. They are failure measures. Organizations don't get to excellence by measuring their failures. They get to excellence by measuring their accomplishments and their achievements. You know, in seminars, I describe that like this. Trying to manage safety with lagging indicators is like trying to drive a car while looking through the rear view mirror. It just tells us what happened behind us. It doesn't tell us anything about what's coming down the road in front of us. Now, they also tell us nothing about the presence of safety or the integrity of the safety process itself. So, let me just say something else about this while we're on this topic. Some of you may be familiar with a gentleman named Steve Newell. Steve was a statistician and he worked for OSHA. And he's the guy who published OSHA's Blue Book on Record Keeping back in 1970. And Steve is retired today and he is with another group that is in the process of developing leading indicators to try to get organizations away from over-focusing on these lagging indicators. And here's something that Steve explained. That recordable rate, when they came out with that, that was only designed for OSHA to measure large corporations against large corporations on a large national scale because it is a macro measure. It is not a micro measure. It was never designed for smaller sampling sizes. In other words, it was never designed to be measuring a plant against a plant, a construction site against a construction site, a department against a department, and heaven forbid, a supervisor against a supervisor. Because those measurements become grossly unfair to those people. In fact, they reveal very little about how to actually improve the safety process, and they only tell what happened in the past. The other part of that, and I don't want to get on a whole conversation about serious injury and fatality prevention, because we've already done that on other podcasts, but most of the stuff that we capture in terms of recordable rates, about 80% of that represents smaller things. They don't represent the things that actually seriously injure or kill people. And when we focus too much on little stuff, we have a tendency to miss the big stuff. So what we really need to do is rely more on process measures. We need to be measuring the input, 
rather than the output. Now I'll tell you that we probably will always measure the outcome numbers as an aside, but those outcome numbers should really be correlation measures to correlate back against the leading indicators that drive safety to make sure that the leading indicators are getting us the lagging indicators. Otherwise, we're just kind of shooting in the dark. We don't have a clue why we got the lagging indicator. Uh, you know, all of that is just kind of anecdotal. We just kind of guess that a certain intervention may have uh, impacted that. You know, the other thing about process measures is safety is probably the only area left in the world that measures the outcome instead of the input. Folks, they figured this out 60 years ago in quality, that if you want to fix something, let's fix the process upstream. Let's measure the integrity of the input and the output will take care of itself. Simply counting how many people that we hurt and how many people we kill does very, very little. So you've heard me mention this before, but I'm gonna say it again. The absence of injury is not the same thing as the presence of safety. The absence of injury is not the same thing as the presence of safety. It's just not. Now, that being said, here's a better way to even define that. The absence of events is not the same thing as the presence of defenses. How present are our safety defenses? So what that means, if we're gonna measure the presence of safety, that means first of all defining what does that look like? What does the presence of safety look like in a given task or an operation? What will it look like if safety is present to the optimal degree? What will people be doing at every level? And to what degree is it absent? Is safety present 50%? Is it present 100%? Is it present 75%? To what degree is it present? And to what degree is it absent? Now, there are a number of leading indicators that can be measured. We're just gonna talk about a few. There, there are many of them. But safety process measures are one. Uh, behavior observations and perception surveys are also good leading indicators. Now, not every leading indicator can be used for accountability purposes. There are some that are for internal review only, but there are some that you certainly can hold your managers and your supervisors accountable for. So, in terms of safety process measures, what we advocate is three different types of measures. One is the presence of safety, the second is the quality of safety, and the third one is leadership of safety. And all of these are equally important. So just for example, one of the presence of safety indicators could be scored audits. Oftentimes, audits are conducted and recommendations are made on those audits and a manager will review those recommendations, will enact some of the changes based on those recommendations, uh, if not all of them, and then sometimes just file those away. But if those audits are scored and those scores are attached to performance evaluations, that tends to drive performance in the organization in terms of those audit items that are looked at. Oftentimes the things that are looked at in audit items represent the presence of the defenses. And they really should be based on uh, activity measures as well. Activity measures are things like holding safety meetings, 
getting involved in uh, incident investigations, uh, maybe participating in safety committees, uh, how many behavior observations are conducted. Anytime that you're designing those type of indicators, the best way to measure those is on a percent to goal arrangement. In other words, you would have a goal of how many or what percent you want completed of whatever the activity is, and then you measure to what percent is it actually completed. So in other words, an example of that might be the percent of training courses completed on time, the percent of action items that are completed on time, the percentage of job safety analysis that are completed per incident. Now there are some other measures that are kind of valid when it comes to presence of safety, and I'll give you one right now. It's called a proactive ratio. The way you measure a proactive ratio is the number of hazards identified plus the number of near misses reported divided by the total events. Now in this type of a measurement that ratio actually increases as proactive activities increase. That proactive ratio can actually be normalized into a proactive rate. The way you do that is add the number of hazards identified plus the near misses times 200,000 divided by the hours worked. And again, that rate will increase as a number of hazard identifications and near misses increase in the organization. Now, presence of safety is important, but quality of safety is also important. It's one thing to do the doing, but what is the quality of the doing? What is the quality of the inspections that they are doing? What is the quality of the JSAs that your supervisors are doing? What is the quality of the pre-planning session? Uh, what are the closure rates when people report hazards? How long does it take to actually get one closed out? Uh, safety meetings. You know, someone can hold a good, high-quality safety meeting with their workers, or they could just be handing out a sheet of paper and having people to sign it. And you would like to think that that doesn't happen, but it still happens today quite often. And another measure that is equally important is leadership of safety. Now some of you have heard me mention this before, but out of the components of a safety culture, leadership is absolutely the most critical. It is really important that the degree of leadership is measured. Leadership can be measured on an evaluative scale such as a rubric. Um, in other words, a scale like a Likert scale of one to five. In other words, if three is a neutral, one would be failure to perform, five would be exceeds performance. And so that's a good way to measure that degree. Those things can be determined through leadership observations. You know, ultimately somebody needs to be looking at leaders. I have a client right now that they position their safety people as coaches. And they will stand around a corner inside the plant and they will listen to a supervisor having a discussion with a worker. And after that conversation is over with, they will go up and coach that supervisor and tell them something like, here's what you said, but here's probably what that employee heard. Here might be a better way to frame that the next time around. Now another way to measure leadership is through performance evaluations and particularly through a 360 degree feedback arrangement. 
Most of you are probably familiar with that, but if you're not familiar, that is where the leader is rated by their peers, their subordinates, and their superiors. And another way is through perception surveys. Perception surveys uh, tend to bring out the perceptions of workers as to how well leaders are leading. So if you're looking to design leadership of safety indicators, it requires clearly defining safety responsibilities at every level. And we have to be really careful about not leaving disciplines out of the loop. Everyone in the organization has a role to play in safety. Purchasing agents, accountants, vice presidents, estimators in construction, they all have a role to play in safety. One of the big issues that emerges out of many catastrophic events is a lack of clarity around responsibilities. And when safety responsibilities and roles are not clearly defined at every level, it creates wishy-washiness. It creates fuzziness about whose job safety is. So to do that, what you want to do is clearly define goals, the actions, the activities, and the acceptable leadership behaviors. Once you have defined those, it is then easy enough to develop performance metrics around those. Another thing that is very helpful is to develop a dashboard. A dashboard is really a visual look at how the leading indicators are being carried out. Now, you can develop your own dashboard, but there are plenty out on the internet that you can get, plenty of software programs to create uh, performance dashboards. You know, just a, kind of a, a look at that would be that you have your leading indicators maybe on the left side. On the right side, you have your lagging indicators as correlation measures. Now, one thing, and I, I don't want to get into this too much but because I've kind of beat a dead horse in previous podcasts on this, but the one thing I encourage you very much to do is get rid of these useless zero measures. Zero accidents, zero injuries, zero incidents. Not only are they lagging measures, they are not process measures, and they do not account for human error. And the worst part of it is they're not achievable. And we lose credibility as managers when we preach that stuff to our workers. If you just have to use a zero measure, how about this one? How about zero violations of policy? How about zero shutdowns that have to happen because of safety? How about zero compromises of safety? Here's what's better. Just get rid of the zero stuff. Now, there are other leading indicators. Measuring behavior is a good leading indicator. If you have a behavior-based safety process or a behavior-based performance coaching system, that typically requires doing observations, uh, giving feedback and reinforcement, and oftentimes on the checklist that are used, there's a way to measure the percent safe and the percent at risk, and that provides a measure of how safe the job is. Now, I will say this. Those are very good measures. They are very good internal measurements, but they never ever should be used for accountability. Because if you do, it will completely destroy the behavior-based safety process. If people are held accountable for a percent safe score, I will promise you they will start pencil whipping those forms and everything will be 100% safe.
It's really a not about that anyway. It's really a not about the percent saved. It's about the interaction. It's about the one-on-one -on -one conversations, coaching, and interaction, and more than anything, of reinforcing the safe behaviors. Another very, very good leading indicator, and this is one that Dan Peterson talks a lot about in his book, Measuring Safety Performance, is that one of the best leading indicators is perception surveys. Perception surveys expose organizational reality. They should be anonymous, no names attached to them, but they measure the perceptions that workers and really everybody in the organization has about the things that drive a safety culture. Now, we have a process in our company that measures six distinct cultural drivers and things such as hazard correction, safety communications, accountability, behavior reinforcement, safety values, and management credibility. There certainly are other elements that can be measured, but I'll tell you that those six, we found over the years uh, doing these with thousands of clients, that these six really kind of get the biggest bang for the buck, uh, and it's really where many companies struggle initially. Once those are under control, you can move on to other cultural drivers. But the, the caution that I would give you is the perception survey also should never be used as a accountability measure. It's a good internal measurement. It's a good thing to develop action items and a strategic action plan from. But if you start holding managers and supervisors accountable for good perceptions, it may tend to drive them to try and influence their workers to respond positively instead of simply being honest. So there are many other things that can be measured. That's just a few of them. We're going to talk about a few more of them, but let's talk about how you attach that to accountability. Measuring safety performance and tying it to accountability is a key indicator of safety as a core value. What's important to management becomes important to those under them. We tend to get done what is measured by our supervisor or our manager. Now, if you're designing a formal accountability system, I like to use the acronym GMP. GMP. GMP stands for Goals, Measurement, and Pay. In other words, goals should be set that are activity-based goals, preferably, and that they are as objective as possible. We should try to avoid subjectivity as much as possible. I mean, after all, either they're doing it or they are not. How well they're doing it is important as well. The M stands for measurement. There should be a measurement system, and that performance is measured back against those established goals. And then the P stands for pay. It is really important that an accountability system have teeth. It has to affect pay or bonuses, preferably base pay. It also has to affect things like promotions and career path within the organization. And I'll tell you this, it's so important that if it doesn't affect pay, you're wasting your time, it's just a piece of paper, it won't go anywhere, and if, it's not, if it doesn't affect pay, it's not worth the paper it's written. Now, 
It's really important to understand, too, that accountability, this term is often associated with negative consequences. And accountability just means being answerable. And an accountability system really should be balanced. It should be balanced between a neutral, a fails to meet expectations, and an exceeds expectations. And by doing that, if they fail to meet the expectations or the goals, there should be a negative impact. If they exceed those expectations, there should be some type of positive impact, maybe a reward. I think it's also important at this point to talk about the fact that there is a huge difference between an incentive program and an accountability system. The two are completely different. Incentives are typically more employee focused, uh, sometimes it's rewarding employees for uh, doing certain activities or maybe, uh, uh, unfortunately, sometimes not having accidents, which is problematic. It tends to drive reporting underground. Usually incentives are based on some type of short-term arrangement. They really don't have any consequences to them, and they may not motivate performance. Accountability is different. It is manager and supervisor focused. It is based on rewarding performance. It is long-term, it is never-ending, it is ongoing, and it does impact compensation and career path, and it absolutely will motivate performance. Another good quote that I really love from Dan Peterson is that if supervisors are made responsible for safety but not accountable to do the tasks that create safe and healthy workplaces, these tasks simply won't happen. So again, the first step in designing a management accountability system is to define safety roles and responsibilities. We've already talked about that in terms of developing the measurement system. But you really, until you define what are the expected roles, what are the expected responsibilities, what are the expected activities, and what are the expected behaviors, it's impossible to develop good performance metrics. Once we have defined those things, it's easy enough to define leading performance indicators. So what you want to do is measure those, provide regular feedback, and then tie those to compensation and career path. Now let me say this, when it comes to the feedback part, that's really important. If these things are attached to a performance appraisal, you don't want to wait till the end of the year to tell somebody they're performing poorly. They should be getting that feedback on a regular basis, at a minimum on a quarterly basis. But it allows people to adjust their performance rather than getting deemed at the end of the year uh, with some type of negative impact. Now in designing accountability, here's some guiding principles. It has to be fair, it has to be achievable, and it has to be controlled. So determine what you want and then measure what it is you want them to do. What do you want them to do? So let's talk about why lagging indicators are not very good. You know, if you ask the typical frontline supervisor, do you have any control over what a doctor does? Do you have any control over what a lawyer does? Do you have any control over what an insurance claims person does? They are obviously going to tell you no. Well, here's the problem with that. Most of those recordable rates are based on that stuff. 
They're based on what other people do, not what the supervisor has direct control over. So it's not fair to the supervisor or the manager. If you ask that same supervisor, do you have control over doing a good quality of inspection of your work area? Most of them will answer yes. Do you have control over holding good, high quality safety meetings with your people? You know, those sort of things are things they can do. They are activities. They drive safety. They are things that people can do. They are fair. They are controllable. Those are the things that we want to measure. You know, at this point, we probably should also talk about employee accountability. That, that comes up quite a bit. What about employee accountability? Employees should also be accountable, but here's the thing. Workers can only be accountable for the things that they can actually control. Those of you who are familiar with human performance know that many of the errors and even some of the shortcuts that are taken in the workplace are system-induced. Things like schedules, uh, uh, understaffing, uh, drive things like fatigue, they drive things like shortcuts. Those sort of things are not things that workers should be held accountable for. Punishing employees for things that they can't directly control is unfair to the worker and it causes them to disengage. And I guess we should also talk about who should not be accountable. Safety professionals should not be accountable for safety outcomes. Things again like the recordable rates or insurance experience modification rates, they should never be held accountable for those things. And, and let me just give you an example. Some of you know Pamela Fisher in our office. And Pamela received a call from the president of a large company in Atlanta one day. And he was getting ready to hire a corporate safety director. He said, I want to talk to you about how to hold this person accountable. And so he wanted to hold this person accountable for all the things we just talked about. And she said, no, you don't want to do that. Well, he didn't like that answer very much. And she said, let me put it this way. Are you willing to give that safety director the authority to fire anyone in the organization to any level up to you? And he said, well, of course not. She said, are you able to clone that safety person where they can be next to every employee every day out in the workplace? Well, obviously not, right? Well, if you can't do that, you can't hold that person accountable for things they can't control either. It has to be fair, it has to be controllable, and it has to be achievable. Now, that's not to say that safety persons shouldn't be accountable for something. They should be accountable for carrying out their duties. The proper role of safety professionals is to be an advisor, a resource, a consultant, and a measurer. They should be held accountable for doing those things. If their role is to do training, they should be held accountable for the training that's done and the quality of the training that's delivered. You know, there are all kinds of ways to hold folks accountable. You know, earlier I mentioned the scored safety audits. That, again, is a good, that's something you can hold people accountable for. Now, I think we should discuss the difference between an inspection and an audit. An inspection is typically done by the local supervisor or the employees, and that's to look for deficiencies. Audits are a measure of the safety management system, 
how well the safety management system is being practiced. And those are usually conducted by corporate personnel or someone from another division uh, or maybe a third party. It measures how well supervisors and managers are managing the safety process. The scored audits that we talked about a little bit earlier are a great way to motivate performance around those audit items. Now, let me give you just a quick example of this. And I'll tell you, I don't advocate this. I don't really promote this for anybody. But it worked for these people. A few years back, we had a client that was a contractor. And they had implemented some safety programs and were trying to grow that in their organization. One day, I was with the president of the company, and we were visiting some of their sites in Alabama. And his supervisors on those sites were not doing the things he expected them to do. And he was pretty upset about that. And so the conversation kind of turned to accountability. And I said, you know, your next logical step is to hold these folks accountable. And so we talked back and forth about some ideas. And here's what he came up with. He said, you know, when you go to a restaurant, they have a health score. And that health score kind of tells how well that restaurant is performing, right? He said, I want to do that. And so what he did is he got his supervisors and his managers together, and he created a list, a checklist of all the items that he expected for them to be doing and how he expected them to do that. And he put a score to it. And when he got them together, he said, look, for the first six months, this is just going to be for training. So for the first six months, nobody's going to be held accountable for these things. However, after six months, we're going to put a score to this. And after six months, you don't score below a 90. If you score below a 90 on any audit, you will be in front of my desk explaining to me why you scored less than a 90. He said if you score less than an 80, on any single audit, you don't work for this company anymore. Now, he also told the project managers that supported them that whatever score those superintendents get, that's your score too. Now, I don't advocate that. I think that's a little bit harsh, but I'll tell you it worked for them. Because when the folks went and did the audits on those sites, those supervisors and those managers would follow them back to the car and want to know what is my score going to be. I'm not going to hear from the president of the company, am I? Now, another way to hold folks accountable is a chargeback system. A chargeback system is where incident costs are charged back to the site or the department. In other words, the generating group. By the way, this is a good role for an accounting department to play in safety by capturing these costs. If you don't know this, most of you probably know this. But your incident costs are captured by your insurance company. And most insurance companies send out a loss run that gives you the costs that are spent for medical, for uh, indemnity payments or, or lost wage replacements. Uh, they also give you how much is paid out in legal fees and, and those sort of things. Those are costs that can be captured. Now, if, you're, if you don't have access to that in your company, I would encourage you to talk to your insurance broker because they do have that information and you are paying for that and you should expect to get that information from them. 
You know, if, if incident costs are not charged back to the generating unit, they tend to be viewed as corporate overhead. In other words, a plant manager may look at it, you know, safety is just not that big of a deal to me because corporate's paying for all these accidents. But if they are having to pay for those, if it's coming out of their profit margin, that's huge. You know, it really, a chargeback system helps to clarify actual profitability of a unit or a department or a site. And most managers are held accountable for profit. Actual profit is measured by profit minus loss. If the loss component is not taken out of the overall profit, they're not looking at actual profit. If bonuses or pay raises are based on profitability, managers and supervisors feel the impact of failure to adequately manage safety. I'll give you a quick example of that. I know a number of years ago we had a client and we were doing some exercises on calculating actual profit. And they had a, a manager who was sort of a big mouth blowhard going on about how much money he made on building a high rise in downtown Atlanta. And so when we actually calculated their losses on that job site and we subtracted those losses from the profit, he actually lost $300,000 for the company. The president of the company turned around and said, I don't want to hear one more word about how much money you made on that job site. You actually lost money for this company. But that guy, in, in his defense, he just wasn't seeing that. He thought he had made all this money because corporate was paying for all of that. You know, when you're developing a chargeback system, you, can, you could charge back the entire reserved cost that the insurance company reserves uh, for paying claims. Or if it's a small site or a small location, you could just set a predetermined cost. For example, and you could pick anything you want to pick, but say $5,000 per recordable, uh, say $10,000 or $15,000 per lost time case. And that might be absorbed financially a lot better for a smaller operating unit. Another good way to hold folks accountable is with a scorecard. Safety scorecards provide a visual snapshot of performance, and they should be designed primarily around leading indicators. And again, you want to avoid lagging indicators on a scorecard. Activity metrics measure whether activities are carried out and how well they are carried out. So again, activity metrics can be things like the number of JSAs conducted, the number of safety orientations conducted on time, the number of safety observations conducted, the results measurements can be things like exam scores from training, uh, things like the percent of work orders that are completed within so many days, uh, the percent of near misses that are reported to the goal of near misses. Let me give you an example of a scorecard. You know, scorecards are pretty standard, and they usually have a color coding scheme like red, yellow, and green. And if supervisors know management is reviewing those scorecards, it tends to kind of hold them accountable. And I'll give you an example of that. I had a large plant in North Carolina a few years ago, and the recommendation was made for management accountability. And so the plant manager designed a scorecard, and he based it on five key activity indicators. In other words, these are the five things I want my supervisors and managers doing, and they would measure them on that. Every Monday morning at the plant manager's meeting, 
he would put those scorecards up on the screen. I'll tell you that uh, I had several of their supervisors tell me this. They said, believe me, you do not want to be sitting in that meeting and that scorecard pop up there with red blocks on it because that tells not only the plant manager but everybody else in the room you're not doing your job. And so it tends to kind of hold pe people's feet to the fire and it does certainly motivate performance. So here's a guiding principle. Determine what you want your supervisors and your managers to do and then measure it. If you want a safety contact process to generate new ideas, measure the number of new ideas, not the number of safety contacts. If you want employees to retain training content, measure retention, not attendance. Another scorecard could be a balanced scorecard. And a balanced scorecard is very valuable to senior managers or executives because they have other things to be concerned with than just safety. And so a balanced scorecard would provide a visual of things like safety, quality, production, human development, cost, those sort of things. And it would quickly give a red, yellow, or green block as to how well those are looking. So it gives them a quick overall indication. You know another activity measure that's really valuable is management site visits. This is a recommendation we often make. Leaders have to be seen to act. Talking about how important safety is is not good enough. And it sends a powerful message to the workers about safety as a core value. Managers can be held accountable for conducting audits, uh, conducting observation activity, for being present at safety meetings, for going out and making safety contacts with the workers and talking and interacting with them. Performance evaluations are another good way to hold folks accountable by making safety part of a performance review. However, the weighting is important. The weighting for safety should reflect no less than 20% of the impact on salary increases or promotions. You definitely want to eliminate as much subjectivity as possible and base all of those performance evaluation outcomes on objective performance metrics. And again, ensuring regular feedback. Well, that's it, folks, for today. I hope that gave you a few ideas. More than anything, I hope it, just in a general sense, it really kind of brought to the forefront that performance is doing. And so what we want to measure is what are people doing? What are our managers doing? What are our supervisors doing? And get away from this outcome measure stuff that is really grossly unfair to them. By measuring the doing, it will drive the doing. Driving the doing drive safer workplaces. Hope you got something out of this. Thank you so much. I hope you check out our next episode coming up very soon. We'll see you down the road. Great seeing everybody. Bye-bye.